0: Our topic tonight is Why Interpersonal Relationships Matter and the Effect of Positive Interpersonal Relationships on our Physical, Mental, and Spiritual Health. Medical researchers were really baffled. They were baffled about the statistics in a little town called Rosetto, Pennsylvania. The little town of Rosetto, with its 1,653 inhabitants, had half the heart disease rates of the towns on either side of it. That was very unusual for this little Pennsylvania mountain town. There was something even more surprising that the researchers discovered. What was even more astounding was that the residents of Rosetto had half the heart disease rates of the entire nation. Researchers began to wonder why what was behind and what accounted for this remarkable reduction in heart disease and what accounted for the remarkable health of these inhabitants of Rosetto? They began to look at various aspects of their lifestyle. Rosetta's inhabitants had similar diets, similar exercise habits, similar sleep patterns as their neighboring communities. The researchers were baffled. They said the answer is not in the area of diet for these people. The answer is not in the area of exercise. The answer is not in the area of the rest that they're getting. It's very, very similar. The more they probed, the more they discovered a fascinating fact. Here's one unique factor. The town of Rosetto was a town of Italian immigrants and they had extremely close social ties. Everybody in that community knew one another. They tended to care for one another. Parents of one family tended to watch after the parents of another family. When they began to look at Rosetta, they saw that strong family relationships and friendships bonded the community together. It was a community of very close, intimate, personal relationships. Parents spent unusual amounts of time with their children. Fathers bonded with both their sons and daughters. Mothers bonded with their sons and daughters. Not only were there very close immediate family ties, but there were extremely close ties with the extended family. The extended family played a major role in people's lives. They celebrated birthdays together. They celebrated anniversaries together. Anytime they had a chance to celebrate holidays, they did that together. In Rosetta, relationships mattered. People cared for one another. There was a loving, nurturing, encouraging, comforting environment. Dr. Stuart Wolfe did some of the preliminary research, and he wrote a book titled The Power of the Clan." How Human Relationships Reduce the Risk of Coronary Heart Disease. And in that book, Dr. Wolfe made this statement. People are nourished by other people. Close-knit relationships are better predictors of healthy hearts than low serum cholesterol. An isolated individual may be overwhelmed by the problems of everyday life. The sense of being supported reduces stress and the disease... Stress engenders. If you have loving relationships, it's healthy for the body, healthy for the mind. Positive relationships between husbands and wives are health-giving, life-giving. Positive relationships in families are health-giving and life-giving. Positive relationships in the community, strong bonds of friendship create the mind to produce positive chemical endorphins that bring life to the entire system. Confucius was right when he said, and what is it? Let's read it together. An angry man is always full of poison. There is something to say about healthy relationships. Now, here's the fascinating thing. In the last 10 years, Rosetta, Pennsylvania has dramatically changed. The Italian population has largely moved out. There are still still some scattered of the old guard there, the old families, But it's more of an eclectic community, more of an ethnic mix in the community. People of varying uh, backgrounds have moved in. And interestingly enough, it has lost its unique family bondedness. When it does, and when it has, the heart attack rates in Rosetta today, after 10 years, are about the same as they are in the rest of the nation, and the same as they are in the small towns around it. The character of the community has changed, and its heart attack rates have shot up. Healthy hearts depend on healthy relationships. If you have strong family structure, if you have good friends, you're less likely to have a heart attack and more likely to have good, positive health. Interpersonal relationships make a dramatic difference. Dr. Dean MD, founder and president of the Preventive Medicine Institute in Sausalito, California, and clinical professor of medicine at UC San Francisco, makes quite a remarkable statement in his book on love and intimacy in medicine. Dr. Ornish says, love and intimacy are at the root of what makes us sick and what makes us well, what causes sadness and what brings happiness, what makes us suffer and what leads to healing. If a new drug had the same impact, that's the same impact as love, virtually every doctor in the country would be recommending it to, for their patients. It would be malpractice not to prescribe it, yet with few exceptions, we doctors do not learn much about the healing power of love, intimacy, and transformation in our medical training. Love makes all the difference in the world. If you have loving relationships, it contributes to health of body, mind, and spirit. The fewer your friends, the more you internalize your problems, the more your health will suffer. If you are the kind of person that does not have a creative friendship outlet, if there is no outlet to share problems with, if you have very few close relationships around you, If you tend to internalize stress, internalize anxiety, internalize the burdens that you carry, that becomes extremely destructive to health. Everybody needs somebody that they can share their burdens and their heartaches and their problems with. The value of friendship from a health standpoint is incredible, it is remarkable. A 10-year study done by the Center for Aging Studies at Flinders University Australia revealed that those who have a network of friends live 22% longer than those that had few friends. That Australian university study said, if you have friends, if you do not isolate yourself in loneliness, if you have somebody to bear your burdens with you, It will enable you to live a happier, a better quality of life, and a longer life. Researchers at Ohio State University and Carnegie Mellon Institute have shown that people who report having strong relationships have more robust immune systems and are less likely to succumb to infectious diseases. If you want a strong immune system, develop strong friendships around you. Somebody says, how do you do that? What does the Bible say in Proverbs? A man who has friends, a woman who has friends, must show themselves friendly. If you're the kind of person that simply is pouring out and spewing out negativism all around you, and if it's an emotional drain for people to be with you, you'll tend to have very few friends. One person said a person wrapped up in themselves is a very small package. But if you're outgoing, caring about other people, they will care more for you. And in the context of that sharing friendship, as you attempt to meet others' needs, they will then be more likely to meet your needs. A Swedish study found that having few or no close friends increased the risk of first-time heart attack by 50%. These studies are quite remarkable. Friendship has been shown to lower... Blood pressure, it's shown to increase the white blood cell count and build the immune system. It's been shown to reduce heart disease. We are interrelated, psychosomatic. We are interrelated in our physical, mental, and spiritual health. And if you want to be healthy, making positive choices, getting adequate rest, absorbing the environment of fresh air and sunshine and drinking adequate amounts of water. Being actively involved in activity, developing trust in God in interpersonal relationships will put you on the way to better health. There is no one thing that we can do to improve our health. Since we're interrelated, it takes all of the principles that God gave us back at creation to produce that positive health that God wants us to have. But there is an internal truth, and that is, let's read it together good friends are good for your heart. Do you have a friend with you here tonight? How many have a friend here with you tonight? Your husbands, you better raise your hand. Your wife's with you. Your wife, you better raise your hand. I want you to turn to them right now and say, thank you for being good for my heart. Turn to somebody right now. Say it again. Thank you for being good for my heart. My wife's back there. Darling, thank you for being good for my heart. A 209 study in Buffalo, New York found that individuals with the fewest social ties were most likely to suffer from anxiety, depression, and develop heart disease. In other words, if you don't have good, strong social ties, not a good friend network, you're more likely to, study, to suffer from anxiety, depression, and develop heart disease. You know, the Bible is not only spiritually true, but when you read the Bible, it makes a great impact. On physical health, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 and 10. For two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to lift him up. That statement is not only true from our mental health, it is also true from the standpoint of our physical health. You know when we stumble along life's road, When the burdens of life seem to be so heavy, when we seem to have our life crushed out with financial burdens and health burdens, and we feel lonely and discouraged, to have somebody by our side, somebody that says, you know what, you're important to me. Somebody that says, I'm sorry that you're going through this, and what can I do to help you? Somebody that lifts you up. Somebody that encourages you. Somebody that inspires you. Doesn't that make all the difference in the world? Wouldn't you like to be that kind of friend to somebody else? You know, the more we develop those friendship networks, the more our health improves. I love the poem, The Miracle of Friendship, by an anonymous author. He says, there is a miracle called friendship that dwells within the heart, and you do not know how it happens or even when it starts. But the happiness it brings you always gives a special lift, and you realize that friendship is God's special gift. The first principle tonight that we're taking a look at is friendship plays a part not only in our emotional health, but friendship plays a dramatic role in our physical health. But there's a second principle. Friendships developed in the context of a caring, loving church environment significantly impact our longevity, our health, and our happiness. You may not have been aware of this. But research indicates that when you have friendship in the context of a loving church environment, that produces health. When you find a Bible based church that shares the grace and love of God and reveals His truth from Scripture, and when you become part of a loving, non judgmental, caring congregation, that produces health not only spiritually, and it not only produces encouragement, but the research is that that produces health for the body. A University of Berkeley, California study done in 2002 reported on the results of a 31-year study of over 6,500 adults in Almeda, California. Now this is interesting. The University of Berkeley at California isn't known for its spirituality. It's not known for its religiosity, it it has been classically known as a secular university. But here's what the study indicated, people who attend religious services have significantly lower risks of death compared with those who never attend or attend less frequently, even if you adjust for age, health behaviors, and other risk factors. So if if you want to have great health, be heading for church pretty soon, church is good for your health. What about religious involvement in U.S. adult mortality? You know, the United States government does demographic studies, and in those demographic studies they gather all kinds of information. Some of that has to do with church-going habits. Notice what a recent study in demographics outlined or stated. Mortality rates for men and women who frequently attend religious services appear to be lower Than the rates for those who attend less often. Frequency of religious service attendance was significantly associated with lower mortality risk for the overall population as well for each gender and racial group. Respondents who attended religious services more than once a week tended to have lower risk of mortality compared to those who attended religious services less frequently. Now there may be a variety of factors in this in addition to the aspect of attending church. People who attend church may have better other health practices in their lives. They may smoke less, drink less, and have better diets. We recognize that. But here's the point. We are interrelated human beings. We are physical, we're mental, and we're spiritual. That which affects our physical life will also affect our thought patterns. That which affects our physical life and our thought patterns affects our spiritual life. But if we have a healthy spiritual life, that contributes to a healthy mental life and healthy mental thought patterns, and it contributes to a healthy physical life as well. It's official. Here it is, the official news. If you attend church regularly, you may, you're 29% more likely to live longer. I'll tell you, the church is going to be packed this Sabbath. people are going to be heading forth. I haven't attended church for years, somebody says, but I want to live 29% longer. (laughs) Well, I'm not so concerned about the motive you attend. Just get there and the Lord will touch your life. (laughs) An analysis of dozens of previous studies suggested longer life Spans for church growers. It was done by Michael McCullough of the National Institute of Healthcare Research. I mean, that sounds pretty official, doesn't it? National Institute of Healthcare Research. He analyzed studies on 126,000 people. What did he find out? We think that this analysis pretty much establishes, establishes that this correlation of religious involvement and mortality exists, but also points to the need of a lot more research to determine just how and why its effect. Washington Times, June 5, 2000. So the researchers are saying, yeah, if you attend church, if you have good friendship. See, one of the reasons may be because as you attend church too, you develop a friendship base of positive people, and uh, the worshiping of God, the sensing that God is our best friend, the developing of collegial friendship relationships in church, that makes a dramatic difference. Life expectancy and church attendance. If you attend weekly, 82 years. You attend less than once a week, 79 years. Non-attendees, seven years less. You didn't know when you came to the lecture tonight, you'd just get seven years more of life because you're starting to attend church. You'd expect the preacher to say that, wouldn't you? (laughs) Hebrews 10, verse 23 to 25, I love it. Let us hold fast. In other words, don't give up now. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. God's faithful, isn't he? And let us consider one another in order to stir up love in good works. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves. That's worship, as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another so much the more you see the day approaching. There are three things in the text I want us to look at. First, the Bible says assemble together. In other words, by meeting together in corporate worship. Our hearts are inspired. New courage flows into our life. Something takes place in our bodies physically that we may not totally understand. Having developing friendships in the context of the loving relationship of a church helps us to be stronger physically, mentally, and spiritually. It contributes to our physical health, our mental health, and our spiritual health. The Bible says consider one another. In other words, caring, concerned about one another. When you have somebody to consider, when, you, when we are those kind of people that reach out in love and kindness to other people, that brings health to our bodies, but it brings strength to theirs as well. I love Galatians 6, chapter 2. Let's read it together. Chapter 6, verse 2. Let's read it together. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We fulfill Christ's law to love one another as we become those kind of people that are looking out of ourselves to bear one another's burdens. I was on my way to preach on the love of God to a group of pastors, and I flew in to Cincinnati, Ohio, on my way to Chattanooga, Tennessee. It was in a February day, and when the plane landed in Cincinnati, I looked out and it was snowing. As I was running through that airport, and it was snowing, I noticed when I came into the airport an announcement. All flights are canceled. And I said, oh, Lord, no. The last thing in the world I want to be is stuck in Cincinnati on a snowy night. You know I have to speak to those preachers on the love of God tomorrow morning. I was fuming. You say, you shouldn't do that. I know, but I did. I was running through the airport saying, man, I got to get in that hotel free voucher line pretty quick or get that discount. And I was running through the airport. I noticed out of the corner of my eye a young woman, 28 years old or 30, I don't know, about that age, with a baby on her lap crying and crying. But I was going to go preach on the love of God, so I just ran right by About halfway down that jetway, I said, you hypocrite. Somebody said, amen. Come on now, give the preacher a break. So I said, Lord, I got to go back and talk to that lady. So I walked back, sat next to her, and I said, this may seem strange for an old guy in his 60s to sit next to a young lady like you. But I got to tell you, I'm a preacher, and I noticed you were crying, and I don't know why. I may not have the solution to your problems, but I'm a pretty good listener, and if you want to talk, it's snowing here, and we're not going anywhere, and I'm here to talk. She said, Pastor, I do want to talk. I just left, and I flew all day, hours after hour, from Germany. My husband's in the military. He was transferred to Iraq. I have the baby now. I don't know what to do. I'm on my way to Kansas because, to tell you the truth, at the military base, they diagnosed that I have a lump in my breast, and it's malignant. I'm here in this airport stuck with a crying baby with a husband who's in Iraq with cancer. She said, Pastor, my my parents are are waiting for me in Kansas City. They're not going to know what's happened. I don't have a cell phone. I said, we solved that right now. Here's my cell phone. Call your parents. She called him and said, I'm stuck in the airport. I said, now, the next thing that we got to do is get your room for tonight. She said, but pastor, the problem is the military deposits money in my husband's account tomorrow. I'll have it tomorrow. I said, look, when you check in, you don't need that. Let me get you a voucher. So we went in the line, and I know a little bit about airports because I have been there many, many times traveling the world. You know the system after a while. So we got her at a hotel voucher, got her on the way on her bus, the Bible says, bear you one another's burdens. Who is there around you that you can touch with God's grace? Who is there around you that you can minister love to? Who is there in the congregation that you will attend this week that you can look at? Do you attend congregations saying, what am I going to get out of this? Oh, I went today and didn't get anything out of it. Well, bless your heart, what did you give? What did you give, you say? Bear you one another's burdens, the Bible says. The Bible says, assemble together, consider one another, stir up love. In other words, share the burdens of others and allow God to enable you to be an agent of love to touch other people's lives. You know, it's true that man shall not live by bread alone, but we all need a little buttering up from time to time, (laughs) right? It's true that man shall not live by bread alone. But I'll tell you, we need a little buttering up at times. Who can you give a compliment to? Who can you bless? Pastor Arthur Ward put it this way, flatter me and I may not believe you, criticize me and I may not like you, ignore me and I may not forgive you until I listen to Dick Tibbets, that I will. Encourage me and I'll not forget you, love me and I may be forced to love you. Pew Research Project report on February 13, 2006 revealed that people who attend church weekly are happier than those who attend monthly or less. Well, here's two things tonight. You want to live longer? Head for that Bible-believing, truth-centered, Christ-centered church. May the churches this Sabbath be filled in Orlando. But if you want to be happier, Pew Research says, February 13, 206, people who attend church tend to be happier. So here are two health principles. One, let's read it. If you want to be healthy, invest in developing healthy relationships. Two, relationships developed in the context of a loving church environment reduce the risk of mortality and increase life's happiness. To have healthy relationships, we must invest in them. Relationships don't just happen. But relationships developed in the context of a healthy church environment make all the difference. But let me be honest with you tonight. Here's the third principle. At times, friends will let you down. At times, the church is going to disappoint you. But there is one. There is one. There is one that you can depend on at all times. He says in John chapter 15, verse 15, "'No longer do I call you servants, "'for a servant does not know what his master is doing, "'but I have called you friends.'" For all things that I heard from my Father, I made known to you. Jesus says to you tonight, you are my friend. You are my friend, to be a friend of God. I love that old hymn, don't you? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You have a friend that can bear your burdens. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? You have a friend. We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. There are three things about the friendship of Jesus I want to share with you tonight. First, first. Jesus is a friend who is eternally committed to you. He's eternally committed to us. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's not merely with you when things are going good and then leaves you when you have reverses and things are going bad in your life. Hebrews 13, 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with the things that you have for he himself has said. What has he said? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said to his disciples, read it together with me please, Matthew 28 verse 20, reading together, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Christ is a friend that is eternally with you. He's with you in your joys, when you laugh, he's with you in your sorrows, when you wipe away your tears, he's with you when you're on the mountain peak of health and when, you, when disease racks your body. He's with you when you are financially doing well and prospering, and when you are financially having reverses in your life. He's with you when you feel you're on the mountaintop, and He's with you when you're on the valley. Christ is an eternal friend. A friend of mine described it this way. I lived in Chicago for many years, and for many years, the Sears Tower was the tallest building in the world. It's not any longer. There are a couple buildings taller than it, 1,353 feet. And one day he said to me, Jesus is like the elevator man. I kind of looked at him. I thought it was a little bit crass until he explained. He said, Jesus is like the elevator man. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, my life is like that elevator in the Sears Tower. It goes up and down. He said, my feelings like the elevator taking Chicago's tourists to the observation deck on the 110th floor. He said, "Things when things are going well and my health and finances and my relationship are great... I live on the 110th floor. You know, it's like that elevator, just go whoop. That's what my feelings are. But then he said, sometimes things go bad in my life and my feelings plummet faster than the elevator and I'm a basement dweller on the bottom floor. But he said, you know what? Jesus is like the elevator operator because whether the elevator goes up or the elevator goes down, Jesus is still there. My feelings about where Jesus is in my life do not determine where Jesus is in my life. My circumstances of life, whether I'm financially prosperous or financially in difficulty, whether I have abundant health or poor health, whether I have whether I'm on top of in filled with joy or whether I'm discouraged, those feelings or circumstances do not determine where Jesus is. Jesus is a friend who's eternally committed to us. Secondly, Jesus is a friend who uniquely understands us. Have you ever felt in your life, nobody understands me? I've just gone through the trauma of a divorce, somebody says. Nobody understands what it's like to be a woman 48 years old, to have your kids in their twenties, they now are married, your husband leaves you for his secretary. And you're alone, and it's midnight, and you're crying yourself to sleep in an empty house. You cry out, nobody understands me. Going through chemotherapy, radiation therapy, you say, I can't take this sickness that I reacted to the chemo. Nobody understands. My family, they've not been through this. They don't understand. Financial reverses, where are you, God? Do you understand me now? Hebrews 2, verse 17, "...therefore in all things he had to be made like us, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people." Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, "...seeing then that we have a great high priest, who's past the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses." but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly, that means confidently, with assurance, to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus understands you. Jesus is not merely a God isolated from human sorrow, but Jesus entered into human affairs he took upon himself human flesh. He faced disappointment and sorrow. He faced anguish. He faced poverty. He faced rejection. Jesus knows what it is like to be filled with sorrow and difficulty and pain. Jesus understands us because he continually identifies with us. Whatever you are going through tonight, Jesus can identify with you. He has gone through. Whatever you're experiencing at this moment, Jesus understands because he has experienced those emotional and mental feelings. He understands what it's like to be rejected. Teenager says, I feel so rejected. I, this group of guys that I've been going with, they have rejected me. I seem to be the outcast. May I remind you, if you feel rejected as a teenager, you feel rejected as a wife or a spouse, you feel rejected as a husband, you feel that somebody has rejected you, they've talked about you, they've criticized you, you feel torn down, they've mocked you and ridiculed you. May I remind you tonight that Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. He understands what it's like to be rejected. He understands what it's like to be ridiculed. He feels the pain in his heart that you feel. He understands what it's like to be treated unjustly. A businessman sat down with me a few days ago and says, I have just about lost my business. I'm going heavily in debt because a business partner treated me unjustly. Do you feel you've been treated unjustly? Treated unfairly? You've invested a great deal in a relationship, and that relationship is crumbled. You do not deserve the treatment that you, have been, that you have gotten. The Bible does not teach that life is fair. Life is not always fair. It's not fair for a baby to be born of a crack parent, smoking crack, and for the baby to be afflicted with that crack tendency. It's not fair for a baby of an AIDS mother to be born HIV positive. It's not fair for children in remotest Africa to be starving to death or children in India. I've walked the streets of India and seen these little waifs, these little children starving to death. That is unfair. This world is not fair. It's not fair for a young Christian, young man, 17 years old, studying for the ministry to be coming home from school when he's just enrolled in college at 17 or 18 years old, coming home one day and have a drunk driver hit him, and the drunk driver survives and that young man dies. Life is not always fair, but God is. And one day He will set all things right. When you go through injustice, when you go through unfairness, There is one who uniquely understands because it was not fair that they put the crown of thorns upon his head. It was not fair that they nailed him on that cross. It was not fair that they speared him in the side. And when you cry out and say, this is not fair, Jesus says, my child, I know it's not fair. I know it's not fair. I know it's unjust. And although the world treats you unfairly, I'll minister my love and grace to your heart. I'll hold you in my arms. I'll whisper encouragement to you because hold on, my child, because one day I'm going to sit on my throne. One day righteousness is going to reign, and one day all the injustice of the world is going to be over. Jesus understands what it's like to be betrayed by somebody extremely close to you. Have you been betrayed in a relationship? A child betrayed you. Said some things that were really nasty. A close friend betrayed you. A husband or wife betrayed you. Have you ever felt that betrayed? So betrayed that it rips you apart inside, so betrayed that the pain is too difficult to handle. Look to that cross. There is one called Jesus. Judas, one of his close friends, betrayed him. Peter, one of his disciples, denied him, and the rest of the disciples fled. The nation he came to redeem stood there while the Romans nailed him to the cross. Jesus understands betrayal. You see, Jesus understands every aspect of our lives. He understands what it's like to have your body racked with pain because his was on the cross. But somebody says, wait a minute, pastor, let's get real here. I'm trying to give up alcohol. I'm trying to give up tobacco. I have physical cravings that just drive me. I'm locked in a problem of drug addiction. Pastor, Jesus never faced those things, so how can you understand them? When Christ fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, the physical cravings that Jesus had in his body were greater than any physical craving you will ever have. So, Jesus understands what it's like to be alone. He understands loneliness, he understands rejection, he understands poverty, he understands what it means to have no place to lay your head because the Bible says the foxes have holes and the birds of their nest, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He understands drivings and cravings. You can come to that Jesus and say, Lord, I'm coming to you, the one who is eternally committed to me, the one who will never leave me or forsake me, the one who is the friend that is always there, the one who uniquely understands every aspect of my life. Christ has experienced the full gamut of human emotions. If anyone understands us, Jesus does. But it takes more than the assurance that he's with us. It takes more than the assurance that he understands us to get through life. You know, the island of Molokai was an island where lepers were dropped off by the hundreds. Molokai is one of the Hawaiian islands. For centuries, leprosy was a dreaded scourge. One of the most well-known leper colonies was on the island of Molokai, or better known as Kalupapa. It's one of the Hawaiian islands. In the late 19th century, hundreds of lepers arrived by ship. They were sometimes told to jump overboard and swim for their lives. They were isolated on this island. The ship's crew would then throw into the water whatever supplies had been sent, relying on currents to carry them ashore or the exiles swimming to retrieve them. Damien de Vista, missionary to the lepers, decided that he would go and live. He would leave the comforts of home, he'd leave the convenience of home. He would leave the safety and security of home. He said, these lepers need somebody to minister to them, somebody that understands them. He went to this leper colony. Not only did he shout encouragement from afar, he came, he lived among them, he ministered to their needs. He taught them how to make gardens. He taught them how to make their houses. This missionary identified with the lepers. They sensed that he was one of them. And then there came that day, after spending 16 years of selfless, loving service, that he too developed leprosy. And he died. Jesus was not content to be separate from the leprosy of this world. He came and he bore the impact of ridicule and mockery and shame. He took the results of the sin of this world upon himself. He was condemned for sins in which he had no share so we could receive the righteousness in which we have no share. He died the death that was ours so we could live the life that is his. He's eternally with us. He understands us, but He no longer hangs on that cross. The grave could not hold Him. He is alive. He's risen from the dead. Just as Father Damien fully understood the lepers of Malachi, this living Christ fully understands you. Jesus totally understands you. In loneliness, He understands you. When you feel weak, He understands you. When you feel powerless, He understands you. When you feel rejected, He understands you. When you feel that there is no hope, He understands you. When there are tears running down your face, He puts His arms around you, He understands you because here, the Bible says in Isaiah 63 verse 9, in all their affliction, He was afflicted. He went through what you're going through. The angel of His presence saved them. In His love and His pity, He redeemed them and He bore them and carried them all the days of old. Christ not only is with us, Christ not only understands us, but He carries us in our difficulties. He carries us in the burdens of life that we face. Here's the third point. Christ is alive. He is a friend ever interceding for us. Jesus is alive at the throne of God, and as we come to that throne, He gives to us strength for life's journey. Hebrews 7.25 says, therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost those that come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. You are not alone. The Christ that is with us, the Christ that understands us, we come. We say, Lord, this is unjust. He says, my child, come. I will take away that horror out of your life. I'll take away that anxiety, that stress, that tension. I'll fill your life with peace. He says, casting all your care upon me because I care for you. We can throw the full weight of our anxiety on him. He has the wisdom. He has the strength. When life seems tough, when up seems down, when the journey seems long, when the road seems arduous, when there are mountains before you, the one who is with us and the one who understands will give you power on life's journey. All we need, He supplies. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. Jesus Christ has good for you. Jesus Christ desires you to live life filled with joy, filled with meaning, filled with happiness, not because there are no problems in your life, not because everything goes good, But because he's with you, because he understands, because he will empower you, because he'll take that sorrow and dry your tears and put a spring in your step and put joy in your heart, because he'll lift the burden and carry it in your life in from your life and place it upon his shoulders. I love that old song. Just when I need him, Jesus is near. Just when I falter just when i fear ready to help me ready to cheer just when i need him most just when i need him most just when i need him most jesus is near to comfort and cheer just when i need him most do you need jesus comfort tonight do you need him to lift some burden in your life tonight Did you come into this meeting tonight with some heavy burden? Jesus wants to lift it. As Charles sings, why not bow your head and say, Jesus, I'm giving you that burden. Jesus, I'm giving you that thing that's crushing out my joy. I'm giving it to you now. I want to leave this place a new man or new woman. Jesus says, come unto me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He'll take that burden. He's eternally with us. He forever understands us. He's there to heal broken hearts. He's there to lift heavy burdens. Listen as Charles sings. Just as I need him, when Jesus is near. Just when I falter Just when I fear Ready to help me Ready to cheer Just when I need him more. Just as I need him most Just when I need Need him most. Jesus is here to comfort and cheer just as I need him most Just as I need him, Jesus is true. Just when I need him more Just when I need him, Jesus is strong. Do you feel weak tonight? Jesus is strong, bearing my burdens all the day long. Some burden you have tonight, Jesus wants to bear it. For all my sorrow, giving a song, just when I need him most. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.